Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to another episode of Around the 412. I'm Tyler, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Smitty. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram. I saw Smitty actually tweeting that out today. Uh, from our from our Twitter, but yeah, go follow us on there. Go subscribe to us on YouTube. Uh, we're posting some shorts of the shows and the, the fantasy football show, as well as follow us on wherever you're listening to this podcast, whether that be Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, wherever you find us. Give us a follow. Give us a rating if you can. It would help us out a lot. Also, a couple GoFundMe's to talk about before we get into the show. Uh, as always, we wanted to promote our Rocking Around the Four One Two GoFundMe. It's our Christmas fundraiser. It is year five. And we're trying to push that. We're getting into crunch time, people. I know I've said that, but it's, we seriously are. We're about a month away from the, the end of it. Actually, a little less than a month away from the yeah. end of it. So we're trying to push that as much as we can. Uh, want to grow that out. So if you want to listen to the, or learn about that, go fund me. You can find it in the description of this show and all of our other previous shows, as well as the description on YouTube. And it's also the pin tweet on our Twitter. If you want to go to our Twitter at around the four one two, you'll find it there. And then you can also go to GoFundMe.com directly and you'll find it there searching rockin around the four one two. And you can read about the mission and, and see about it there. And then one of our recipients for rocking around the four one two this year, is also has a GoFundMe going for her as well. It's called Isla Keen's Future. Um, I'm sure now it's it's been close to a month and a half now that uh, many people have heard about the tragic passing of Dalton Keen. Uh, his daughter, two-year-old daughter, uh, Isla was left behind, but there's a GoFundMe for her to try to set her up uh, in her future so she's not left with, without anything. So there's a GoFundMe called Isla Keen's Future that will also be in the description of each of these shows as well as you can go to GoFundMe.com directly and search Isla Keen's Future. That's I-S-L-A-K-E-A-N-E Future. And then you can read about that mission as well. <sighs> Maybe one day I won't. I'll get used to you reading that, man, and, and having to hear you say those words. Um... Yeah, anything that anybody can do to help out either one of those fundraisers, we can't thank you enough. Um, I know that the, the family hasn't been very public about it, but just trust me in knowing that they are very thankful for everything that people have done for them uh, throughout this entire process. Uh, nobody's going to be able to bring Dalton back, but the financial burden that people are helping um, erase every time that they make a donation uh, is greatly appreciated. Uh, and on our behalf, obviously, you guys know I, I talk about it very much that this thing is my baby. Um, Tyler mentioned we got about three weeks or so left of taking donations. Since we started this in 2018, we've raised over $23,000. Um, it's hard to say the exact amount of people that have been impacted just because there's a lot of you know repeat families that we've had throughout this process. So I think the best um, number to look at is what we were able to do last year, our biggest year yet, raising over $11,000, helping 30 kids across 13 different families. Um, and there was well over a hundred different people that donated. So I would love to come close to that this year. Um, 
I don't know that we're going to, but we're sure as hell going to try to. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can't thank everybody enough for, for participating in the continued support. Uh, Thanksgiving is in a couple days here. By the time you guys are watching or listening to this, it's very well probably tomorrow. Uh, we're so thankful for everybody that's that's been a part of this. It's been a part of our journey is around the 412 since we started in 2017, over five years ago, which is crazy. Everything, all the life events that have taken place in that time, I just... This week, the week of Thanksgiving always makes me reflect on this specific show and in the journey that we've taken to get here to become more than just a podcast. But uh, now I'm rambling at this point. Um, but thank you, everybody, <laughs> for tuning into another episode of Around the 412. Now we're going to talk about some sports, um, which I wasn't very thankful for the performance the Steelers had on Sunday. So <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, the score doesn't show how poor parts of the Steelers game was. Like thirty, you look at thirty-seven to thirty, and you see that score, and be like, "Oh, it was a pretty competitive game." But to mm-hmm. me, the game never really felt like it was in reach after a certain in the second point. half. Yeah, yeah, like it, it kind of always felt out of reach, even though it was technically a quote-unquote close game. But yeah, it it just never seemed like the Steelers, outside of probably the first like quarter and a half, had a winning shot in this game. So to me, the turning point of this game was. TJ Watt, another incredible play coming down with that interception, which he's done so many times. We've seen him do it twice this year to Joe Burrow, yeah. uh, but where it just looks like he bats the ball down. Nobody in the stadium realized that he picked this thing off. And I didn't on TV. Them, you see the players like Miles Jack come over to help him up, and they realize, oh my God, this guy's got the football in his hands. Yeah. Um, and you can even tell like the commentators when I was watching it back were like shocked that he picked it off. But at that point, when they settle for three instead of getting seven, I told Ryan the game was over. And that was still in the third quarter at that point. It just felt like that was the momentum swing. One way or another, that drive was going to determine who won that football game. Um, let's let's backtrack here and talk about the first half of football because it seemed like everything was kind of going exactly how you would want it to for a Pittsburgh Steelers game. They did give up 17 points defensively, but with a high-powered offense like Cincinnati, you know, you figure – if they can make adjustments like we've seen the Steelers sometimes be able to make defensively uh, from one half to the next, we saw it happen multiple times this year. Even if you looked at the Cincinnati in the first game, stuff like that, uh, they were not able to make adjustments on that side of the football, but what the offense did in the first half, I think was very encouraging. And I was sitting there like, if they're able to put this together for another half and just continue doing this, I mean, this is everything that you want to see from the Steelers offense. I thought Matt Canada was calling it a game. Kenny Pickett played his best half of football. George Pickens was involved. Pat Farmuth was involved. Najee Harris back-to-back weeks where he looked very effective on the ground. Obviously, this week he didn't have the benefit of Jalen Warren spelling him. He got hurt in this game very early. Um, But the offense looked good the entire first half. And then they come out in the second half and do absolutely nothing. It's just, I, I don't know what changed there. It's like Cincinnati adjusted and the Steelers couldn't adjust back. And that to me is another one of the many, many examples as to why Matt Canada is not fit to be in the NFL. It's the scheme. It's the route concepts. It's the play calling. And, you know, a lot of people have pointed this out to me. Um, most recently, Ryan at the game. He has no feel for how to call a game. Like, you know, you get you hit this deep shot to George Pickens and the follow-up call is a flea flicker. For what reason? You know, you're kind of, you got momentum on your side here. You're starting to get things moving and that's what you follow it up with and he's got to throw the ball away. Um, so it's just no feel for how to call a game from one half to the next. It's amazing to see how good things were and then resort, resorting back to what we saw or what we've seen now for the better part of two seasons under Matt Canada just a very frustrating performance offensively. We could talk about the defense, but first I just wanted to start with the offense. Yeah, and it kind of reminds me of the Browns game in that way earlier in this season where the first half honestly looked pretty good. The Steelers were playing well offensively. Second half, they reverted to what they had been the entire season up to that point and for the most part of the better part of this year. Um, I, I thought that it was a decent performance in the first half from Kenny. The second half, he did play poorly, but it's hot, like – I'm not going to be one of the people like because I see a lot of people online just kind of throwing Kenny under the bus, and I'm not going to place blame on one part of this offense in particular. It, the whole thing has problems. That's why it's yeah. tough for me to blame just Kenny or just the offensive line or even just Matt Canada. Like yeah. at times the offense is performing poorly, and it's like the play call didn't perform that poorly. It's just the guys on the field did. But when I look at Kenny in particular, like in the second half, like I think in the third quarter that might have been his worst quarter. Be, and I would say that that was his worst quarter because in the fourth quarter, I can't put as much blame on him because it seemed like he didn't have a clean pocket the entire fourth quarter. And, mm-hmm. and so he had a that's a mixture. Dropped. 
Yeah, that's the, the that was the probably his best throw of the entire season, <laughs> dropped yeah. by George Pickens, which you don't yeah. see often. So it was just a lot going against the Steelers in that second half, and on top of going against them, they just played poorly in the second half. And I, I think that that's kind of the way this offense is going to go for the remainder of the season. Um, even though there are definitely some winnable games, and you'd like to see some improvement, and I think we will see some improvement. I just feel like you're going to see the hiccups throughout the games on a total scale for the offense, not just one in particular thing. Like the offensive line clearly has its problems. Kenny clearly has his issues at times. And then Matt Canada, I mean, you just talked about it. Matt Canada just sucks and needs to be out of the NFL, but we can't do anything about it this part of the season. But as for this game goes, that's what I mean by like the 30 points looks good in, if you're just looking at a box score, but the offense as a whole did not look like a 30 point performance the entire game. I was happy to see Matthew Wright actually make some field goals this game. Um, mm-hmm. So, so that was good. I do I, like, I do think there were some bright spots still. I do think K- Kenny had, like you said, had his best half of football. I thought Najee ran the ball pretty well. That, that touchdown of his was great in the first half. Um, it, and that really kind of set the tone for the offense moving forward. Cause before that, it was kind of like a stalemate before that touchdown happened for the Steelers. And I, I felt pretty good after that. And then the second half rolls around, and you just kind of revert to what it had been for the pro- the the better half of this season. I, but it's tough for me to really point the blame, and I think that everybody wants to play the blame game when it comes to the Steelers' offense. It's tough for me to get behind pointing it at one part- particular person in, in general. I, I think there's a huge portion of it that is on Matt Canada, and you can see that in every single game that we've played so far. But – the, the problem is I can't just put it on him. I can also put it on the offensive line. I can also put it on Kenny, and I can also put it on receivers at times. I mean, there's there's been fair shares of receivers dropping balls in key moments like Deontay in certain games. George ta- ca- uh, Pickens didn't catch that touchdown there. What would have been a touchdown if he would have caught the Friday ball? Friday had two drops on Sunday. But I yeah, talk it's, about it's just a tough performance overall, and, and, and I, I feel like – that's kind of what we're going to see moving forward. I think we're going to see halves like we did in the first half on Sunday where it's a solid performance, but I I don't know if I can really expect to see that for an entire game. I want to see that for an entire game, but just based off of up to this point in the season, I mean, we're 10 games in. We kind of know what this team is by now. We're going to keep looking for those improvements along the way, but I think we know what this offense is pretty much, and I think that you're going to expect good halves or good quarters at a time, but I don't know if I can expect a full game of a, of a good offense from this team. Yeah. I mean, 30 points, but 20 of them in the first half and seven in a garbage time drive with basically no time remaining. Um, you know, that so they find their way to 30 points, but it wasn't a pretty 30 points. It wasn't a full performance. Um, like you said, now when we're talking about the blame game, uh, I want to ask you a question. I've seen multiple people talk about it. And it's something that I feel like we've kind of touched on on here, but I think that it, this goes a little bit deeper. I thought about something else that's you'll see in a second. I feel like I'm almost okay. trapping you with this question because okay. it's you're going to end up feeling the same way I am, but it's not on the surface where the answer is. So do you feel like Kenny Pickett was potentially brought in too early? Because I, I, the assumption I had going into this into the season was we will see him after the bye. Once the season started, we were in agreement we would have played him to start that Jets game week four. He did come in in that game, but he didn't start it. But now yeah. that we some of some of his first season here has played out, his rookie season, he's going through the growing pains. Not a particularly great situation that he's in. Do you feel like he was brought in too early? I'll say this. I think if you're, we're using hindsight, which we're going to do. I mean, the games have happened. We have the benefit of that, yeah. We have the benefit of hindsight to say yes. He probably should have come in after the bye at that point. But at the at the time, I'm going to say no, because I still am pretty adamant that they should have brought him in. Because if your whole goal is to be the best competitive football team that you can, obviously Mitch Trubisky wasn't getting it done at the time. You want to give yourself the best chance to win. And what it seemed to be was Kenny Pickett was going to give you that best chance. We don't know what how the games would have played out if Mr. Trubisky was going to be the quarterback over these last several games instead of Kenny Pickett. But if the Steelers' goal was to win the football games, at the time, I still think it was the right decision. Using the benefit of hindsight and with looking at the record and how the games played out anyway, 
it probably wasn't the best decision. It was probably better to wait, especially through that tough stretch, because you literally could not have brought him in at a tougher part of the schedule, before mm-hmm. those those four to five games before the bye. But the way that it's played out, I do think that in hindsight, it would probably have been better to start him his first game against the Saints after the bye. But not using hindsight and just looking at the way the season has played out or was playing out at the time, if you're going to want to win the football games, I do think that at the moment or in that moment, Kenny was giving you the better shot to win the football game. Or at least the Steelers thought Kenny was going to give them the better shot. And Mike Tomlin thought that Kenny was going to give them the better shot over Mitch Trubisky. So here's my thing. And this is where I say I wasn't presenting it a way I feel like where this could be your answer, but I think that you're going to agree with me by the time that I'm set and done. Um, I think the mistake that they made was Kenny not getting more reps with the number ones throughout the lead up to the season. Not necessarily when they put him into game action, because if if he would have gotten reps with the ones throughout training camp in the preseason, I would have probably have been on board with him being the starter from day one. But because that wasn't the case, and it was Mitch Trubisky getting all the reps with the ones through training camp, playing with the ones in all three preseason games, and then to start the season, I don't know how you could have had that short of a leash on him with that being the case, knowing that Kenny had no time with the ones in the lead up to the regular season. So that's where I disagree with the process. I don't disagree with when they put Kenny into a game based on the results that they were getting. I disagree with them putting into him into game action based off the reps that he had gotten leading up to that point. Yeah, I mean, I could see that for sure. And that's why it, if I was the coach of the Steelers, I wouldn't even have Mitch have started that Jets game. I would have just... Kenny, you have 10 days to prepare as the number one quarterback. But even leading up to that, even though that's a game that he came into, he didn't have the number one reps. It was Mm -hmm. still going to be Mitch starting. So I I can understand that mindset. I I still do think they made the right decision bringing him in when they did. But I can definitely see the argument for like why that would be the case, like why you wouldn't wouldn't want to bring him in then because he wasn't well prepared enough. Yeah, I mean, I so that's the that's the crazy part about it to me is if you were so set in stone on Trubisky opening up the season to the point where Kenny wasn't even getting any reps with the ones, how is the leash short enough where like an altercation that wasn't even that serious with Deontay Johnson in the locker room at halftime enough to bench him? Because that, but everybody yeah. that's talking about it is making it seem like it wasn't the, like a performance thing. It was because of the altercation happening in the locker room. I just, I, 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 maybe that, maybe the altercation was just the tipping, the tipping point, point or the, ex- hey. the, the, the easy excuse that Tomlin had yeah. to pull him out. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't believe that that is the sole reason that he came out. It had to be performance worthy. I mean, look at, look at what Mitch had done up to that point. He only won one, the one game against the Bengals. And by some miracle, honestly, it's it's not even that Mitch won that game. The defense won the Steelers that game. <laughs> let's let's be completely clear. Yeah, five turnovers. Uh, I I think that up to that point, you kind of have to see like this performance is bad from Mitch, and so it makes sense to go to the next guy. And I think part of the reason, even though he didn't get reps with the ones, I think it's even more impressive that he was even in the conversation to compete for the starting job playing with the guys that he did in the preseason. Speaking of Kenny, I mean, I, I like, yeah. I, I think that while I still think the argument stands that he didn't have the reps with the ones. So I, I think that he wasn't prepared enough. I think it's just more impressive that Kenny was doing what he did without the number ones in the preseason. And I think that may have even been part of the reason Tomlin could have thought, okay, we'll make this guy. Cause now he's with the one. So he should perform similar or at least the same to what he was doing in the preseason obviously that hasn't been the case it's been tough but like like i said that to me it's hard to put all the blame on kenny i know a lot of people are quick to blame the quarterback because it's the most important position i totally get it i just can't buy into the stock that it's all kenny's fault yeah i mean any quarterback is going to face that type of scrutiny you talked about the fact that this is a, a rookie seeing his first you know nfl defense Every single week that he sees a team, it's the first time that he's seen that NFL defense. Yeah. So I mean, it could be worse. We could be the Broncos and have Russell Wilson on the contract. The Broncos are in a bad spot. I mean, 
the Rams now, they got their Super Bowl. So, you know, they've bought some time here to go through what they're going through. But the cap situation, no picks. Matthew Stafford with a bad elbow is looks like he's washed after just one season with the Rams. I mean, the Saints, who we just played, they, they don't have a pretty situation going on. Sean Payton looks like a genius getting out of that. Yeah, I gotta be honest. Like, like if if you were to tell me, would you tra- like would you trade winning the Super Bowl this year or like next year or whatever for a few bad seasons in a row after that? Well, yeah. my gut would say yes, but it would suck to watch after that Super Bowl. Year. Yeah, I mean, think about it. we have we haven't seen a Super Bowl since two thousand eight anyway. So like, no, we, <laughs> you well, know, well, we've seen you, a Super Bowl, we lost. <laughs> yeah, I'm so- sorry, you've seen a Super Bowl win. Yeah, yeah but yeah. like, you know, if you could guarantee me a Super Bowl, yeah, I will take whatever. The Rams are not whatever, but I, I'd imagine that the Rams can clean this up relatively quickly. But it's gonna be interesting to see how they how they do so. Like if they, it, with hindsight and it, the way it is, they would do everything over again because they want the Super Bowl. Yeah, sure. Yep. Um, I want to switch sides and talk about the defense though a little bit, obviously, because in this game, no Jamar Chase, no Joe Mixon for about three quarters of this football game. They still give up thirty-seven points to the Cincinnati Bengals at home. Uh, with the highest paid defense. That's the first time that we can say this and it'd be like an actual legit argument because people were throwing that around even when TJ Watt wasn't on the football field. Well, at that point, they're not the highest paid defense, but right. he was back fully healthy defense, um, you know, and they give up 37 points in this game. And it's, I can't put my finger on exactly what it is. I think the biggest thing to me was the cornerback play. Uh, the Bengals, unlike the Steelers, were able to take advantage of of matchups. You know, it was basically, let's put T Higgins, let's put Tyler Boyd in the slot and see what the Steelers do to adjust to that. The answer to that was nothing. Arthur Millette was caught in coverage (laughs) on both those guys several times. Um, I I didn't look at the numbers. I have no clue what, how many times he was targeted, how many receptions he gave up, what the passer rating was when targeting him. I can just tell you, I guarantee that those aren't very pretty. Uh, He had a rough game on Sunday and it's just, it's hard for me to even fault him that much because he's typically in good position. He's just so much smaller than these guys, and we know that it's not his strength. So this is more on coaching, putting him in those positions to fail. Like, know the strength of your player and utilize him in that way. What is he doing covering Tyler Boyd, covering T. Higgins? That's not a recipe for success. And it's not like, you know, I know he had a pick, but Levi Wallace was getting picked on a little bit in this game too. It it just, you know, across the board, I think you can talk about guys defensively and say this wasn't a banner day i mean when you give up 37 points at home like i said when the team is missing two of their more explosive players it's it's not good it's not good this was not a good performance it's bad yeah no i mean we we talk about the 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 recipe for the steelers to win games is the defense giving them the chance to win the game talked about it a week ago i mean honestly like looking at the performance from the offense it wasn't a great performance but the offense didn't do anything to kill them like they, they still win the that over. game most of the times with what they got from the offense they won the turnover battle like the the, the Steelers was bang like they the Steelers won the turnover battle Kenny didn't t- turn the ball over but even with a 30 point performance it wasn't good enough and that's not good enough from this defense if you're expecting to win games that's kind of what we've talked about is how you're going to win the games is you ex- hope your offense can put up just enough points to be able to win the game and your defense can hold the team. And then that's, that's what the expectation is. It wasn't a good performance. I mean, it, it, I did not have Samaje P Ryan having three receiving touchdowns on my bingo card before the game. And I don't yeah. think whatever linebacker was covering him out of the backfield did either. I, I it, it was rough um, w- watching that happen. And I mean, Burrow had a good game. Like he, he threw the two picks, but he still threw four touchdowns on you. T Higgins had a huge day. It was just really rough, especially in the in the past coverage, which I feel like overall for the season, we've kind of said that the run game has been what's harping this defense and getting to the quarterback. And a lot of that was without TJ Watt. So expectedly so that's going to be hindered a bit. But overall, I feel like the past defense has been pretty solid. And to me, that is what was exploited the most this game. I mean, you look at the rushing totals. Samaj P. Ryan had 11 carries for 30 yards. Mixon, seven carries for 20 yards. It's not like they burned them on the ground. They just got torched through the air. And you haven't really seen that that much this season from this defense. So it was pretty surprising to see. Yeah, I mean... This you mentioned about Burrow. I'm not trying to take anything away from him, but all three of those touchdowns, the P Ryan were behind the line of scrimmage. Oh, no, I know it was all P Ryan's work, yeah, yeah, but but he also threw for 355 yards. And I'm and well, the, the point of me wanting to bring that up was that's the most 
touchdown passes behind the line of scrimmage in a in a single game in the next gen stats era. Like that should never happen. Really. <laughs> and yeah. I mean three. But like I didn't know so no, I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> yeah. Just absolutely ridiculous. Um but you know, I, I don't know who to even it goes kind of like the offense, like we're talking about. Like you can't just point the finger at one person here and talk about it. But like it's just again, the lack of adjustments to me are really what stand out. Uh, when you're getting torched by a guy like T Higgins and don't find an answer through four quarters to somehow minimize it, you're not going to like completely erase a player like that, but obviously like make somebody else beat you every once in a while. This guy was just torching them the entire time. So uh, yeah. very frustrating performance um, from what should be and what's paid to be the strength of this football team. Um, they didn't do themselves any favors. And now at, at three and seven, I, like this was the the swing game for me. It's like if they win, they haven't played Baltimore yet, so yeah. like they 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 still have a lot in front of them in terms of playoff hopes. After losing this one, uh, that's probably out the window. Yeah, I I mean, looking at even regardless of playoffs, whatever it takes you to get in, just mm-hmm. having a winning season still. Oh, yep, mm-hmm. they would have to go six and one over their last seven games. So. I, I, I when I when I go, I guess technically they can, <laughs> they can tie one. We we did that. Was that last year? The Steelers yeah. did that. Yeah, eight eight and one. Of course they they have the. Well, no, last year they were nine seven and one, but they could go eight or, eight and one and still. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, I I guess it, it is like I can still look at the schedule, and I know this is going to sound stupid to a lot of people listening to this. I can still look at the schedule and see how the Steelers could go six and one over their last seven games based off of their opponents. Like mm-hmm. I, I can see how you split with the Ravens and win every other game. There, there's a there's an outcome where I can convince myself that that can happen. Unfortunately, and I don't think it's a reality. I, I think that say, I could also convince myself they go like two and five or yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing. Yeah. Based off of the performances we've seen and the way that this team has played on average, I guess this season, I can't expect them to go six and one over the last seven games. Um, I definitely think they're going to win some games though. Like if they, if they win four, four out of the last seven, I think that's very realistic to me and end the season. What would that be? Six seven and 11 10. or seven and 10. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the whole seven, 17 games throws me off with with uh, all, all the adding stuff. But I, I think that's a very realistic possibility, realistic possibility, but I do think the Steelers fans are going to have to come to the grips, if you haven't already, that you are going to have a losing season for the first time since 2003. It's, first it's, one under Mike Tomlin, which is like... Uh, first one um, under Mike thing. Tomlin. Yeah, you know, and I, 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 I the actually, thing, you know, one thing that really, uh, while we're talking about that record, by the way, one thing that really pisses me off, I know, when I people want to bring up saying. the record, is that it's Ben's record, yeah, and same. Ben did not play in 2019. People, he played a game and a half, literally. He 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 played the first game against I don't even know who it was, but then he got the <laughs> he got Patriots. hurt in the second the Patriots, okay, and then he got hurt in the second game in the was the second quarter against the Seahawks, the home opener. Yeah. And the rest of the way, Ben did not play. So I don't know if you want to say that the majority of that is also Ben's record. Sure. But 2019, Ben played a game and a half. It is just as much Mike Tomlin's record, actually more so than it is Ben's record. Now, Tomlin had the benefit of having a lot of good teams, but and having Ben Roethlisberger for his whole career. But needless to say, 2019, he still managed to get that team to eight and eight, and, and and at one point have a winning record. They they finished pretty poorly, but at one point you had a winning record with a few games over 500. But that that's that's just my biggest gripe I have when people bring up that that uh that record, just because everybody in the comments, I know there's definitely going to be somebody. Anytime I see that brought up on Twitter or anything, that's Ben's record, not Tomlin's record. I'm like, get that out of here. I, I, if you want to I mean, talk about he had ta- he had Cowers players in the early years, whatever you can use that excuse if you want. 2019, he didn't have a single player from Cower except for Ben, and guess what? Ben didn't play, so I don't know what the excuse is at that point. Sorry, that's a little rant about that record. Just annoying to me whenever people bring that up. I mean, you also have times where Ben was suspended, and other injuries also forced him to miss time, and Tomlin was still over 500 you know, in that time. So 
I I don't get it. Um, but it also it's the same people that will talk about Tomlin's lack of playoff success, but not bring up how detrimental Ben was to those playoff games and the fact you know Ben's recent playoff track record as well. So. You know, they go hand in hand. They helped each other. They've hurt each other. Whatever you want to talk about them during their time together, it's a collective effort. So it's not just one or the other. They did it together. Um, But the other thing I wanted to talk about in regards to Tomlin, and then we actually have one more thing to talk about with Ben. So this is perfect. Um, But with Tomlin, it's just with the losing seasons, people wanting to get rid of him. You know, Noel had losing seasons. Cower had losing seasons. Why is Mike Tomlin not afforded the opportunity if he wants? Because there is, I don't know how truthful it is. There is a little bit of smoke to like, is he going to retire after the season? Just like some of the stuff he said, people don't think he's invested in the long-term future of the Steelers at this point. Um, But that's not what this discussion is about. Why isn't he being afforded the opportunity with potentially high draft capital to see if he can rebuild this football team like the other two were? I, I don't have an answer for you. It, it makes no sense to me. And and I, I get there's a lot of that people dislike about Tomlin outside of the he's never had a losing season. Like there's definitely some things you can bring up about Mike Tomlin that even I like like to me, his clock management is terrible. That still bothers me about Mike Tomlin. But do I think he is the right coach for the Steelers? Absolutely. And do I think like there, there's always the argument for if you want to fire Mike Tomlin. Who are you going to get to replace yeah, him? Yeah, see, I don't actually care and for that argument. But I don't care for the yeah. argument, but I do kind of think that it, it it's still dumb. Like, could you get somebody to replace him? Yes, but do you need to? That's the problem. I don't think you need to. I think he's allowed to have one losing season. There, there's several coaches that have losing seasons and they don't get fired just because they're good coaches. I, I don't. I don't. The greatest think coach of all time. If it should happen. Oh, uh, I was like, who's the greatest coach of all time? You're talking about Belichick? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the first name that came to my mind was like uh, Vince Lombardi. And I'm like, I have no idea what his coaching record was. But <laughs> but, but anyway, I, I still think the point stands. He's allowed to be afforded a, one losing season. Now, if it became a trend and you start to have two, three, four in a row, then yeah, then you look to a different different place. But one losing season, especially after the run that you've had for as long as you've had, you just lost your Hall of Fame quarterback. I, I think when you have the rookie quarterback, how bad of an offense you have, give him the chance to grow that rookie quarterback, grow the offensive lineup, get draft capital, and use that draft capital to build your team up, fire the offensive coordinator and get a better one, and then see what happens. There's a, just a knee-jerk reaction to want to get rid of Tomlin because they're going to have one losing season, and it's a stupid idea. Give him the chance to at least rebuild it. You're not going – if he wants to retire, fine. But firing him off of one losing season, your expectations are way too high as a fan if you think one losing season since 2006 is a fireable offense. Yeah, and then you know that's where people are going to bring up the lack of playoff success recently and – but not want to put the blame on the quarterback during that time. It's or but, the defense or, or like, I mean, yeah, some of those defenses were <laughs> atrocious. Like people say, how did they not win a Super Bowl with the killer bees? Did you look at the other side of the football at all? Because the Jaguars the put up 45 points <laughs> on you. That's why. <laughs> um, But talking about Ben, I've seen some, some talk about this recently, and I think it, it stems from a conversation that he was having on his podcast um, about the, like he would throw the, if he were in charge of the Steelers offense, throwing the ball more on first and second down. And it got people talking about, man, Ben should come back as the offensive coordinator. Ben would make a great offensive coordinator. I don't know what about him. People think would make him a great offensive coordinator just because he was a very good quarterback. Um, but to me, you look at the the style of football that he played. Um, he obviously wasn't very willing as a mentor I don't know what about him screams this guy would be a great coach. Um, he didn't. He wasn't very coachable himself, and that wasn't even like a personality thing. It's just he played football way differently than like you would try to coach the game to somebody else. I think you can be a very good player, but not be a very good coach because you can't articulate what he did. You can't just tell somebody, "Hey, go play backyard football" the way that he did and coach that into somebody. That just happens. That's who Ben was as a player. 
I don't think that he would make a good offensive coordinator because his style of play doesn't translate to that. Yeah, that's and that's the tough part. And I think similarly, now, do I think, and this is kind of going along the same topic, but topic, but going a little off topic. Like there's smoke that people want Peyton Manning to be the offensive coordinator for the Colts. Mm, yeah. I, I I think it's a kind of a similar situation where you have such a, a smart football mind, but just because you have that great of a football mind does not mean you're going to be a, a great coach. And I will give you a real life example of that. That is close to home for me in 2016, BYU hired Ty Detmer as their offensive coordinator. Ty had never coached at any level except for high school. They hired him to be offensive coordinator. And so a little backstory, Ty Detmer at BYU, he won the Heisman Trophy. He, at, at the time, set the NCAA passing records in, yard, in passing yards and passing touchdowns. And they bring him in. And in the first year, he had Taysom Hill and Jamal Williams. I'm sure a lot of you know those two names. He had those two to rely on to kind of mask how bad the offense was. And in 2017, BYU had their worst offense since 1952. And it is a, in part of Ty Detmer not being a good offensive coordinator. So just because a player was a really good player, Ben's a Hall of Fame quarterback, that does not immediately mean he's going to be able to come in, even if he played a similar style to Kenny or, or whatever. If he was very similar to Kenny, that does not mean he's going to come in and be able to coach right away. They're completely different. That's why you can have coaches that have never touched a football field, but they are great coaches because it's completely different than actually playing the game. Yeah, for sure. But I'm not, I'm not even making the argument that it's just like, I don't know that he would be just because he was a good player doesn't mean he'd be a good coach. I'm literally saying based off what I know about him as a player and the way that he saw the game and the way he played the game, I just don't think that translates to being a good offensive coordinator. It's not even the conversation of like the pathway of being a player to coach. It's what I saw from him as a player thinking it wouldn't make him a good coach. Yeah. And it, well, to me, it's just the... I, I am not going to hire now. Granted, he could be like Jeff Saturday, and I mean, I don't know what Jeff Saturday is going to do the rest of the season. But he comes in, everybody's talking about the atrocity that it is that he he was given the head coaching job. I mean, shout out to Bill Cower, but he he won the game against the Raiders. So mm -hmm. I, what, what, what them, do you, they lose by a point to the Eagles? Yeah, like I, I what do you, what are you going to say? Like to me, it, it's just the it is in part of Ben knowing what he was as a player and how his personality was, but it's also just me personally in my mindset. I do, I just don't want to hire somebody because they were a good player. And I, I think the same thing with the Colts, like hiring Peyton Manning could it work out. Absolutely. It could, could Ben work out as, as offensive coordinator. There's a chance. Absolutely. He could have been great. He could be great, but that doesn't mean mm -hmm. I want to take that risk that, that, that could happen. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, completely switching gears. We're going to talk about the Pens now. Great week, honestly. They haven't lost since we last recorded. Uh, perfect road trip, going three for three. Um, beating the Wild, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, come on. So it would have been, and I wasn't home Saturday or Sunday, so that's what's really bothering me. I wasn't able to watch either game. But Sunday, I know, was the Blackhawks. Yeah. Saturday, dang it. They went to Canada. Winnipeg. Winnipeg. Yep. <laughs> so Minnesota, Winnipeg, and Chicago road trip, six points in three games. Um, I mean, what was not to love about this? You saw Tristan Jari, the, the way that he performed in that game against Winnipeg. Uh, you saw the offense even break out a little bit. Malkin gets his thousandth game. What a moment that was. Scoring in it as well. His son being a part of uh, the, the lineups in the locker room. Um, but overall, just a great road trip. I feel like you kind of found your footing a little bit with the defense. I think POJ coming back was a big part of that. We talked about uh, when Eddie was on last week, we didn't think that they had like the right combinations of guys. And while I'm still up in the air about how Dumoulin and Ruda are going to perform together uh, as a third pairing D, you know, you can kind of shelter them. But right now, you know, if you get the Tristan Jari that we saw in that game against Winnipeg, and obviously, you know, cross your fingers that the Smith's injury isn't anything serious. He missed practice today, by the way. Um, yeah. You know, you, you got everything kind of back on track from the looks of what this 
road trip looked like. Yeah, and even going past just these three games over their last, what would that be? They're over the last seven games. They're five, one, and one, which is great because they lost seven games in a row. Ever since that Seattle game, whenever they came back from that that road that Western road trip and they played Washington and beat them, they've they've got a really good stretch of games going, which is really encouraging to see. And then we talked about it. Did we think that this is going to? be a trend that continues throughout this regular season. I mean, both of us said, no, that's just kind of how the way the sport works. It's a long season, seven games isn't going to make or break your season. And I, and I think they've been able to turn it around. And I think that guys have been able to contribute that weren't contributing during that, that huge losing streak. I mean, look at what Brock McGinn's been doing. He's been, he's been putting some pucks in the net too. I, yeah. I, I'm not saying he's been great overall, but I, I think there's been a definitely improvement in that game and in a lot of the bottom six in general. And then you have the leaders that you do. I mean, the way that Crosby and Malkin and Gensel and them have been leading the the core or the team throughout this winning streak as well. I mean, Crosby. I know we're going to talk. We were going to bring it up, but he was the player of the week for the NHL. He's got twenty seven points in nineteen games. He's on a hundred and I think over an eighty two game. Uh, he's on pace for like a hundred and fourteen points or something like that. So. As a 35-year-old Crosby, not too shabby. I, I, yeah. I'll take it. And the rest of the team overall performing really well. I, I'm happy to see that they were able to shake up the lines. I, and, and the pairings as well. I'm happy to see Dumlin being down with Ruda and being POJ with Petrie and do, and Marcus Pedersen being with Latang. I, I, I didn't want to see Dumlin on either of the top two pairings. So ha- seeing him on the third pairing, even though Ruda is that defensive pairing, or defensive defenseman, I'm happy to see that they made that switch as well. Yeah, the the one for me, we brought it up last week. We weren't sure if it was going to happen 100%, but based off practice, it looked like it, the Raquel and Russ swap. I mean, you yeah. look at the chemistry that, that Raquel has had playing with Sid and Jake, and, and Rust is enough of a stabilizer. He's looked good with Gino at times, but really, I mean, we can keep talking about it. It's about those duos. Like, we know Sid and Jake are a duo, although Raquel looks really good playing there, too. And we know Gino yeah. and Zucker have been a duo this year. That, that Those two together have maybe been the best duo that they've had this season. Um, and then you talk about adding Rust as the complementary piece on that line. It just seems to fit better. I don't know what it is about it, but that top line, uh, when it was Sid, Jake, and Rust, it just it, it was looking a little stale. You know, and it wasn't just like a short stretch either. We're talking about about two weeks that they spent together where they just weren't producing at that level. Um, so immediately Raquel goes back up with Sid and look what happens. Sid wins player of the week or first star uh the NHL. So I uh I like what we've seen over this road trip. Obviously, we gotta continue to see it. But um I mentioned real briefly Tristan Jari's performance in Winnipeg. Uh what did you see if uh if anything in that game that was like, okay, Tristan Jari might be back on track here? I mean, to me, it was about positioning. I, I felt like he was in the right position a lot of the night uh, against against Winnipeg. And I think that's kind of been something that, to me, whenever I can tell Jari is on, is his angles and his, his lineups for taking on shots and everything is in order. And that's, to me, what I saw on Saturday against Winnipeg. I, it seems like whenever Jari is in a rough spell or having a rough game, he seems to be out of space and kind of scrambling around a little more than he normally does because Jari to me is typically a cool calm collected type of goalie and someone that's just always in the right line for the shots that's coming his way and that I think that's what we saw on Saturday and moving forward that that's what you need to see from him because we talked about in, in his contract year he needs to perform because it's tough to give a guy a contract that has never won you a playoff series he's I mean he's only been in the two playoff series played only in one game in this this past season's playoff series, and so it's it, he's in that contract year. And I know that the the Penguins probably want to be able to give him that contract, but he still needs to go out on the ice and prove it. And based off of what we saw from that losing streak to this game uh, against Winnipeg, it was completely night and day different. And he needs to be stacking these type of performances moving forward if he wants to not only be a Penguin moving forward, but to have this team succeed in front of them because nothing makes you play better than having a confident goalie behind you. If you're if like, look at what happened in these past couple playoff series against the Islanders. And then against who do we just play this best past season? I kind of like throw it out of my head. Wait, the Islanders again. No, the Rangers. Rangers. No, we played the Rangers. It was the Islanders. 
Yeah. It was the Islanders yeah. in 19 and 21. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, but just looking at how it didn't really matter what the Penguins did in front of their goalies. They were still going to lose the game because the goalie couldn't have that. But I, I think the team plays even better when they know their goalie is behind them and it's going to give them a save. That's something that I think, to me, outside of just the goalies playing bad overall and, be, and getting in bad positioning and everything over that big losing stretch that we had, is that you didn't get a save from these goalies either when you needed to. There were many times where it's like, you should have had that, and you just didn't. And that really kills your team. That's That wasn't the case on Saturday and hasn't been the case for the, the better part of two weeks. So it's been really nice to see a turnaround from the team in general, but also the goalies. Because, I mean, for a while, the Smith turned into our starter for a few few games because yeah. Jari had performed so poorly. It was a nice to see him get that stretch. The other part of it was people were talking about, now I know the Smith might be dealing with some type of injury. There was also some, like Jari mentioned himself, that he was dealing with some type of medical issue that was hindering him a little bit. So maybe we're past that. I just hit my computer and camera started shaking. Uh, <laughs> so maybe we're past that point now, and that's why we saw the Tristan Jari that we did on Saturday. I mean, hopefully, because with or regardless of what the Smith situation is, we need that Tristan Jari to show up on a regular mm-hmm. basis. Yep. So, um, I actually don't have anything else. No. Unless you do. No, I don't. Um, we play the Colts on. I, I saw that tweet that you put out from our Around the 412 page. Yeah. The, the Steelers haven't lost to the Colts since 2008. Oh, you know what? This is terrible. I'm a horrible person for this. Sarge they did might... Sarge's Steelers notes. Oh, did we he? We talked about it. Yeah. Okay, we can throw That is also why they lost. That is also why they lost. The three games he had <laughs> done it were the three wins. Um. All right. Sure. So I mean, we got time. Actually, we can run through wow. charges. All right. Notes. Yeah. These are these are pretty long. So I'm gonna try to run through them. Um, All right. Sounds good. If there's if there's not something that like jumps out to us, we don't have to chime in. Uh, okay. Like this. This might go down as a top five jersey matchup of all time. Yeah, I like what both teams are wearing. Um. TJ's arm sleeve looks even cooler when it's the same color as the color rush that yellow gold whatever yeah uh i have never seen someone spell their name as the Bengals punter before drew d-r-u-e there's actually um a linebacker for the chargers that spells it the same way drew Trantwell. so mm-hmm. there's at least two in the nfl i don't know how to look this up but the steelers have the have to be the worst team in the nfl on yards on first down yeah i actually do want to chime in on this just because it reminds it, go, it takes me back to I mean, just in this game alone, you look at what the Bengals do on first and second down to make third down much more manageable. And the Steelers just do not help themselves on first down in that area. And then, you know, the second down play call, it will make it something, you know, that doesn't that doesn't get you shorter. Like the entire goal of first and second down should really be about making third down manageable, if not converting the first down before you even get to third down. Instead, we're getting like one yard on first down. Maybe I, they try or, something on second down and don't gain any yards because it's an incompletion. And then and they, or, or, like or, or it's opposite, incomplete pass, and then they try yeah. a second and ten run, and you get one yard. They are also averaging. Uh, they got to be again something that I do not feel like looking up. I feel like they have to have the most rushing attempts on second down and seven or longer in the NFL. Probably um, a Pickens catch while he's open and it's across the middle. I cannot believe what I'm seeing. All right. So this is still optimistic at this point. I can tell uh, this is still early in the first half and things are looking good. Yeah. Cause the next one, the effort Warren shows as he gets the ball is awesome. Dude seems like a football guy through and through. Yeah. I, I wonder how much of a difference he would have made in the second half of this football game. Um, he exited with a hamstring injury pretty early, but we've seen his involvement continue to grow. Even with Najee being effective the last couple of weeks, Jalen Warren yeah. was going to be involved this in this a football game. Back. Yeah, uh, I think I think Kenny needs to trust himself more. Trust he can make certain throws. He's a rookie, and I get it. But once he learns what he can actually do, I think he's going to be really good. You know, we've talked about like the confidence level with him, but you've also brought this up like on here. It wasn't me, so I got to give you credit for this. The recognition that windows are going to get tighter in the NFL. And that obviously is probably the biggest reason that it takes that jump. We talked about the jump from the college to the pro level. Everything changes. Like, I don't care how pro ready you are, or 
being the most pro ready guy from the class, you're still not ready for an NFL defense when you step onto the football field immediately. Um, and yet we're not somebody that's ever of the mindset that Kenny Pickett's confidence is going to waver, but he does have to, I, I know what Sarge is saying here. He does have to trust himself to be able to throw into those tight windows because we've seen be, glimpses of it. We just so haven't seen it on a regular one, basis. One play from Sunday that remind that kind of made me think about this that he did trust himself to throw into a tight window was the play that Najee actually dropped that and and maybe I, I could be wrong maybe that it was a good pass deflection but I thought it was a Najee drop um I forget who you had the defensive end on Najee and he dropped yep. the ball yeah, and the to me, was wide open but, but to me when I look at the coverage even though you have a defensive end on it this window was still tight but Kenny was able to make that throw and I thought mm-hmm. that that was him it, kind of going with what Sarge is saying, trusting himself more to be able to make that throw. Najee just didn't catch the ball. Uh, I'm so happy for Devin Bush. He's playing with confidence again, and it's showing. Yeah, so he's not like he's never going to be the 10th overall pick type player. I don't think he's ever going to be a three down linebacker, but the way that they're utilizing him this year is I feel like kind of perfect. It's gotten him back into a place where he's playing with confidence. You're seeing him attack more. Um, shout out to, you know, I, I feel like I talk about these guys so much when I talk about guys that are putting out clips of games, but Josh Carney and uh, Derek Bell, who both put out a ton of clips um, regarding Devin's play in this game. And yet, like he is at least taking on li- uh, linemen. And if he himself isn't making the play, he's at least eliminating one of the linemen for somebody else to make a play and freeing up somebody else. He's playing downhill this year and it's, it's been, it's been good to see. I agree. Uh, I swear P Ryan has been in the lead for 20 years. He's only 29, but it seems like his, he's been in the lead for so long. Yes. So I didn't realize, so he's an Oklahoma back. Uh, He started his career in Washington, Um, but he's really, he's a nice complimentary piece for Joe Mixon, but you've seen in this game, like if he has to be, he can be like a feature back. He's never going to be like an effective runner between the tackles, but I think the way that Cincinnati used him uh, and, and has used him his entire time there has been really, Really plays to his strengths. Um, quick question about P. Ryan: Are yeah. he and Lamichael brothers or cousins or related I, at all? I don't know. I completely forgot about Lamichael P. Ryan until you said that. Until you just said that now. Yeah, he's the one out of Florida a couple Florida. years ago. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, Naji hurdling, although scary, is a sick sight to see when it works. Yeah, that was one <laughs> of the more. That was one of the more athletic plays we've seen from him, like even including last year. Um, yeah. That's that's one of his better runs that he's had as a stealer. Just the ability to get to the outside, which he tries basically all the time, even when it's not necessary. But this time it was really good block from Zach Gentry and George Pickens on that play as well. Uh, and just one guy to beat and just decides I'm just going to go over him. And to be able to keep the ball inside the pylon doing so. Yeah, really, uh, really good play. What does Spillane do on tape for the Steelers to want him in the game all the time? What's funny is what they're using him for shouldn't be what he's on the field for. Like, I I feel like if he's going to play, it should be on the early downs. Yeah, like in rundowns. But they're using him in coverage. And and the reason that people have talked about him so much is his communication. And, you know, I, I I can appreciate that, I guess. But to me, that's more so a statement about Devin Bush and Miles Jack's inability to do so than Robert Spillane's ability to do so. If he has to be out there just for his ability to communicate, but isn't actually offering anything in coverage. I mean, that's very unfortunate. And it just speaks to the fact that this team, while I just talked about Devin certainly playing better this year and having his strengths in the Steelers utilizing it, this is not one of them. And they're still going to have to add yet again, another inside linebacker because that room is not very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the Steelers, <laughs> the Steelers scoring twenty before half was not something I expected today. Neither was scoring thirty. Um, but unfortunately, it had no impact on the result. So yeah, that's good the, thing in the first that sucked, half. Is they scored thirty, which I should be happy about, but I still can't be happy about it because of the outcome and how they got to that point. Yeah. Once Najee learns how much bigger he is than most defensive players, he can just run them over. He will be a top five back. Yeah, I'm not ever expecting Najee to be a top five back, 
But to the point of him being bigger than most defensive players, that's kind of what we've talked about. Like, I understand that you are a very good athlete for your size, but just use your size at times too. you know, like simplify things, especially when with as bad as things have been for the majority of the year. Now we've talked about it. He definitely has looked better the last two weeks. So hopefully he continues to build on that. He just needed that bye week, I guess, to get a little bit healthier. Um, but I don't, he's not somebody that I'm ever expecting to be a top five running back in this league. I just, I think that the vision issues will prevent that from happening, but I think that he is closer to what we've seen the last two weeks than what we saw the previous nine. And this is going to sound really pessimistic, but I hope he never is a top five running back in the league. So the Steelers never think about paying him a contract. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, does Matt Canada have a quota on end arounds he has to meet every week? I'm still looking into that. Uh, I'll get back to you. <laughs> TJ was being held and still somehow intercepted a ball. What a hilarious play. That's literally like one of the most ridiculous plays I think I've seen on a football field. Yeah. Um, it's absolutely ridiculous. George Pickens is everything we wanted Martavis Bryant to be and more. Dude is an actual alien. I think... <sighs> Except to drop had, that ball. Oh, he didn't get to the drop ball at this point. Yeah, if he had Martavis's speed, that would be stupid. This would be a un, like he would have. I don't care about the character concerns. I don't care about him coming off an ACL tear. If he was that fast, he would have won the first round. Yeah, Dan Moore Jr. is a jerk. <laughs> Gave everyone false hope last year that he was going to be promising. He stinks. I feel like he takes two penalties a game. Um, his. His lower half is preventing him from being at least an average tackle in this league. Uh, his footwork, his anchor, like everything about his lower half is just so off right now mechanically. Um, if you watch him back, it's like, man, this guy, he's got like, there's some times where he gets into his set and when he wins, he's just dominant. Uh-huh. But when he loses, it's really, really bad. Like he's getting beat so clean, not even giving his quarterback a chance. It's just it's way too up and bound down. It's not steady enough uh, play to to say this guy can be the left tackle next year. You know, I was watching him specifically in that fourth quarter because I noticed mm-hmm. like Kenny, the pocket was cap- collapsing on Kenny so quickly, and yeah. a lot of the time it was coming from the left side, and, and Dan yeah. Moore Jr. was just getting beat. So. It's becoming more and more clear that, at least depending on uh, BPA, tackle should probably be the first selection. Yeah. Uh, we're back to Samaj Piran. It's crazy that Samaj Piran is the one who's killing the Steelers today. Yep. Oh, is that probably the second touchdown? <laughs> he didn't even get to the third. Might be the third because there's, there's only two notes left here. Oh, okay. Uh, Kenny has no time in the pocket. He takes three steps back and has two dudes in his face. Play calling also sucks. Not a good combo. Yeah, just what I was yeah. talking about. I mean, if we're late in the game, that's exactly what I was talking about. This proves that the offense does have the ability to score 30. That's one positive takeaway. That's the thing is you, lo- you take a look around the offense and they probably need to add and I'm not saying to draft one high. I'm not even saying to draft one. You could find one in free agency probably. They need to add one more receiver now that they've traded Chase Claypool. But from a skill position standpoint, I feel like everything's in place. Now it's about the offensive line and the coordinator because this team, if everything does click, can score 30. That's what they did on Sunday. But not on a consistent basis. And when you have that offensive line and that offensive coordinator – there's still work to be done for this offense to have everything get. I'm not even sure if Kenny is the quarterback, but he's going to have you know some time to figure that out if he is. Um, but you look at the round with the skill position players, and I feel like those are at least in place. I will close out my thoughts on the show by being a little selfish when it comes to who they should get as a wide receiver. Puka Nakua is coming out of BYU. He just accepted his invite to the Reese's Senior Bowl. As of right now, I don't expect Puka to be that high of a draft pick. If you can get him in rounds five to seven, I'm just saying. He's a stud at BYU. If you want to watch some of the plays, look it up. You'll probably be impressed. He's really good. If you're going to add a wide receiver, I selfishly would love to have a BYU wide receiver because I think Puka is a dog. So that's how, that's where I'll leave it. Draft Puka and Akula. Yeah. All right. I don't. That's fine. That'd be fine with me, I guess. Okay. Um, 
All right. Well, that's going to do it now that we got through Sergeant Steelers notes after talking about the pens made a ton of sense. Um, but once again, just want to take the opportunity to wish you guys a very happy and healthy Thanksgiving. I hope you guys enjoy the time with your family and friends. Um, one of my favorite holidays, my favorite time of the year. You know, we got this and crisps for the month of each other. Obviously, rock around the 412. A lot of good things happening here in the next few weeks. Uh, to get involved with rock around the 412, that will be in the link of this show, whether you're watching or listening to it on one of the various platforms. Uh, it's our yearly Christmas mission. This is year five. We've raised over $23,000 uh, in the, four, the first four plus years of doing so. Uh, every single penny that is donated goes directly to helping families in our area. We also use um, some of the money that's left over to get gift cards, whether that be for a gas card if the family has to make trips back and forth to and from the hospital, as was the case with one of the families last year, or to provide a holiday meal um, to a local grocery store. We get them a gift card and they can do that. Uh, one of the families that we're going to take care of this year, Isla Keen, um, I'm saying that because we also have a GoFundMe. They have a GoFundMe going on. For her Isla Teen Future Fund. The link to that will also be in the description of this. Um, she lost her father. She's a two year old girl. There is nothing that anybody can do to bring him back, but we can help erase some of the financial burden that will be associated with that throughout her life. Um, as of the last time I looked, it's over $33,000. Um, it's going to be open, you know, as long as I know. So we will see. Um, how many donations we can get to that. I can't thank you guys enough for, for helping in both of those causes. Like I said, the description of this will contain the links to both of those GoFundMes. So feel free to help out, share, do all that good stuff. Leave us a like, subscribe to the channel, leave us a five-star review wherever you can. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you want to see on the next show. Give us some feedback, any of the topics we talked about. If you guys want to chime in, we would absolutely love that as well. But other than that, for me, for Tyler, happy Thanksgiving, and we will talk to you guys next week.